When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sup Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. We are so excited to be here. We did a lot of fangirling before we clicked record, but we're here today with Alyssa Mastromonaco, who I just had to scramble to write an intro for because I was like, everybody knows Alyssa Mastromonaco. (laughs) You guys. So my very short intro is that Elizabeth Monaco is, of course, the former deputy chief of staff for President Barack Obama. She's a two-time author, and she's the host of the Hysteria podcast and part-time YouTuber on the Crooked Media channel. How's that going? (laughs) Hi, guys. We're so thrilled. We're such huge fans of you and Crooked and all of your books, every word you've ever written or said, so no pressure. Shut the fuck up. I love you guys. I love your Twitter. I love your Instagram. I love it all, okay? So we're just going to have a mutual admiration society going on today. I also think we have like a little bit of like a kindred spirit habit-wise. Like, I'm a Grateful Dead fan. Mm. Um, We love, we appreciate a little bit of ganja from time to time. I, like, I mean, yeah. you guys, and it's like, I don't love the ganja because of the dead, but I mean, <laughs> one does go well with the other. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. just, you know, I enjoy watching you bottle like um, jams. Oh, and make st- my jam? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys, I was doing it first thing this morning. Yeah. I've got something new on the stove. Oh, wow. <laughs> Incredible. What a, what a tease. <laughs> and you also, you have how, my first question, super important question. How's the new kitten? Oh my God, she's got the shits, you guys. Oh no. <laughs> she's literally, before I signed on with you guys, I was on the PetSmart website just Googling cat digestive. She's going to the vet next week. But yeah, she's got the shits. But she's adorable and they all, so she was my, the inn is now officially full. Though my yeah, husband's okay. like, he, my husband's like, stop saying things that may become a lie. <laughs> and I can't help it, you guys. It's like the world is so terrible that if I can at least like save a cat, I mean, I have enough space. So it feels like the right thing to do. But I'm always very um, scientific about how you introduce the cats to each other. So they are... Um, they love each other. Oh, wow. like they love each other. They like all love each other. They The, the three of them love each other more now that she's no here. She's oh, like, cool. yeah, she's like this little seven month old, one eyed Persian kitten. And the oldest cat, Petey, he's 14 and a half, kind of like, he's yeah. my love. He's an old fucker. I love him so much. <laughs> 
And he's just like, I am digging this because now Norm, who's the rambunctious four-year-old cat, has a best friend to play with. And Petey's like, let me put my ginks up and just enjoy my time on this earth. Oh, man. Honestly, you walked out there because I had a cat when I was like in high school or whatever. And we introduced an additional cat thinking like, oh, they'll be friends. This will be great. That didn't pan out really so oh, and um, you just got like <laughs> there was just years a lot of resentment of from the older cat about the introduction of the younger cat that really never went away for her whole life so it was upsetting but your, cats oh. are, your cats are used to having new siblings like especially the they oldest are. one yeah poor Petey this guy he was like we we thought at first that he was meant to be alone and then this rescue called me on Good Friday, oh, right yeah. before Easter, and asked me if I wanted to rescue a cat named Bunny. Like, what the fuck? How do you say no to that? Yeah. And the truth is that Bunny really brought Petey out of his shell. And so mm-hmm. after that, I was like, look, if it goes tits up, you know, totally. I'll, we'll have to rehome her through the rescue. And that's like, it's better to try and fail. You yes, know? absolutely. You gave her home. Yeah, you would have given her home. Also. My dog has a paralyzed esophagus and I just applied to adopt one with three legs. So we'll see. Oh my God. I love oh, yeah. that. When's that, when's that one going to I come? don't think I'm going to get him. And I honestly don't think we're ready, but it's a dachshund with three legs. And I just really want to name him slug. Cause he looks like a little slug. Oh, That's, but let me tell you something. Animals are just so resilient that when it's like, I mean, I've had cats with all kinds of problems and they just like keep on going. They're like, fuck it, man. If I were in the wild, I'd have to right. figure it out. So. Especially because like, I'm going to love my pets. I'm obsessed with them anyway. So if I've got a little bit more, if I've got that much love to give, Give me, give me a, a dog with one leg. Give me a dog with paralyzed oh my God, it's you guys, We're literally kindred in all the ways. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of, um, we have a lot mm. of political Stop. questions for you. Very high brow. Let's do it. High yes. level questions okay. for you. But our okay. first is, um, as a loyal hysteria listener, I knew that you were very like 420 friendly, but I think yeah. I always assumed that that was like a post white house pastime. You just sort of like present as like a good, like a high achieving person who maybe came across that late in life. But then reading your book, I learned you've been an enthusiast for a long time, predating your white house years when you did have to stop. And you've been pretty vocal on your podcast about how this government policy is outdated, stigmatizes cannabis use. Yeah. Yeah. Big, (laughs) big flipping the bird to the policy. You've even pitched yourself for Biden administration. Weeds are which we endorse. Yes. We're happy I to work lead that for campaign for you. <laughs> Guys, they just need to give us an office and a dream, you know, that's it. And like, you know, some substances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, whatever the DEA will, will let us study. But so how did you react? Did you know before Obama won or did you know that that was something that you would have to deal with that this policy existed before you got to the White House? No, you guys, it's actually pretty hilarious. So my whole life, I mean, I've smoked weed my whole life, um, like yeah, since high school. We're literally um, all like the same person. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big, and big so, compliment to us. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys. And I, uh, you know, it wasn't until, so what happened was uh, it's October, 2008. And what you find out in the government is that you have to plan for all outcomes. So in October, 2008, the Bush administration starts clearing both Obama people and McCain people uh, so that their clearances would be done or at least interim clearances would be done by the time we take office. And so you have to start that process early. So one of my dearest friends who who shall remain nameless because I don't know if he wrote about it um, 
comes back and is like, look at this document. And we're like, what? It's like your clearance form. It's no big deal. He's like, look at this question. And I was like, wait a minute. Marijuana is considered a drug. Legit, you guys. Legit. I was like, wait, really? Like, <laughs> yeah. Cocaine, I get. Acid, I guess. I mean, but like mushrooms, no. I mean, right. <laughs> to me, it's like this shit comes from the ground. It had never Plant. occurred to me. And so I went home that night uh, in Chicago and I flushed my weed down the toilet. And I didn't touch it again until a couple weeks after I left the White House. But the interesting thing and why I am such a champion of this being accessible to people is that what I realized is that when I went cold turkey and stopped with weed immediately, my body reacted, not in like a withdrawal situation, but like all of a sudden my IBS was back, Mm -hmm. you know, and worse than ever. Um, My anxiety, I had to manage in a different way. I mean, I've read books on this and Mm -hmm. I kind of don't, I don't love the way that it's positioned that like some people like me can in some circumstances thrive because of their anxiety, that it makes you hyper astute, you know, executing, you check every, you check every box, you dot every I, you cross every T. And so I, I did, I think effectively turn it into a good tool Mm -hmm. uh, aside from the IBS. And I just started (laughs) drinking wine. You guys, I gained weight. I mean, it's like, I never, I was like, what the fuck? And I didn't drink a lot, but it was like, you know, a glass and a half at the end of the day, just to take the edge off. Right. And, you know, over the course of those, however many years, uh, you know, I had to, I, there were periods where I tried, I had to use Xanax and low-dose Xanax. And I was like, what the fuck? And so the minute that I got out of the White House, I was like, did I make this up in my head this whole time? And so I went back and I found my weed and I was like, oh my God, this yeah. should be legal for everybody. <laughs> I feel so much better. Honestly, like I, I always think about like what, like wine and alcohol, like I feel like they're now showing are so much more like toxic for the body than marijuana and like Xanax. I mean, people grow dependencies on that. Big pharma's making money off of it. It's so much money. Yeah. And you know what? I had hangovers and still do. I get them. I call sadness hangovers from Xanax where the next morning you're like, why am I so sad? Why am I? Oh, it took Xanax. Oh, what am I going to do? Cause today I'm so sad. Yeah. And you know, and it's like, I still, I still over the years have taken Wellbutrin and Zoloft, but Uh, The truth is that when I need to deal some, when I need to deal with something quickly, uh, weed is the way to do it. And it doesn't mean that you're fucking tripping balls and high off your ass. Yeah, exactly. It's just, that's the beauty of the moment that we're in is that like, you can actually dose it properly so that you just feel better. Not that you are like literally second set, almost encore at a dead show. Yes. Especially. (laughs) drums in space. <laughs> exactly. I'm like sitting on the floor, like this is nice. <laughs> you know, like, my hands. Like, should we shut this up? Yeah. yeah. Right. I know I've, I've gone through that. I feel like I've gone through this with like therapists too, where they're like, you know, see if you can find other ways to manage your anxiety. I'm like, I can, this is just by far the best. Right. I'm like, right. I'm like, yeah, there are other ways, but, um, meditating doesn't work. Taking deep breaths doesn't work. I, okay. I actually, <laughs> When I, I I was just away and we had to take COVID tests to get back into the country, obviously. And we I did like a rapid, we had like home tests or whatever that ultimately didn't end up counting because we didn't like do the telehealth thing, but whatever. So I had to wait for 15 minutes waiting for it to like finish. And I was congested. So I was like, oh my God, what if I have COVID? I'm going to get stuck here. How am I going to get back? Um, and during that 15 minutes, I was like, okay, I'm going to actually try those techniques that they say will reduce anxiety. Like 
breathe in this amount of times and breathe out this amount of times. And I tried, right. I tried them like so in earnest. And when I tell you, my heart did not stop beating <gasps> out of my chest, like nothing, it didn't do anything. I'm like, how do people seriously say that like meditating is going to take you to like, some people um, it's a tool that works perfectly well some and they hate it. Work. Yeah. It's true. I will say I've gone into the Calm app. We love this. Yes. I love the Calm app. Yeah. You guys, I'm very into it. Yes. I'm yeah. into it. It's like Kate Winslet reading me a Christmas story about Thomas the train. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to do what it did. It's like, I, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to drift off. This is so great. So anyway, you I know what makes it even it. better? What? Weed? Weed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes. It just, I also like, I was trying to actually like take a little bit of a, a breather from it. No pun intended, but, <laughs> and, and the breather happens to be this week. So it's a, this is a great conversation for, for all of that, but I have not been sleeping as well. And I, when I ask myself every morning, when I'm looking at the clock, 3:45 AM, why am I up when I never used to wake up? I think we now have our answer. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah. it is to me, um, it, it is it is a helpful sleep aid. Betty's nighttime eddies are. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I've had those. Yeah, I not. I got a ringing endorsement. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So, um... 
pivoting a little bit. So I recently, I've read both your books. I recently, I read, I recently listened to the second, okay. um, which is a delight. Yeah. And so whenever you read them, obviously your former boss, President Barack Obama, he comes up a lot. But what I love about reading your books is he doesn't come up necessarily in the places you'd expect. You're not, he comes up in sort of random places as you're talking about life lessons. Um, I believe there's one particular anecdote. I, I'm not sure if it's in your book, but you told it on the podcast where you've talked about how President Barack Obama made you realize you don't need to wear uncomfortable clothes and shoes. Is yes, that right? That's correct. How did that, can, can you, uh, can you recount that? For sure. So it's actually pretty funny because uh, when we first got into the White House, I don't know how long it took, but there was a blog that used to criticize what some of us would wear. And I felt, uh, I'm just going to be very honest with you guys. I felt like a real responsibility. We were representing the first black president of the United States. I didn't want to be some broke ass staffer who, who didn't, who didn't bring shine, you know, who brought embarrassment or anything like that. And so one day I'm in the Oval Office and uh, you guys, I wear my emotions all over my fucking face. And he's like, what's wrong? I was like, nothing. I'm fine. And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, well, you see, there's this blog and it says that we're, you know, we're disrespectful and that, you know, we, that Republicans, you know, Republican women wore pantyhose and skirts and we wear pants and no pantyhose and blah, blah. And we work and we oh. wear clothes that are too <laughs> casual. And he was like, okay, let me ask a question. Why do you wear the clothes that you wear? And I was like, uh, cause you and almost everybody else is a fucking gazelle. And I can't keep up with you. If I wear high heels and pantyhose, give me a stomach ache. And he was like, so then if you work better, the way that you are, and I don't care. Why do you care? And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, why do you care?" And so we had a pretty. I'm a woman. I know, and I'm like, I don't want people to think bad about you because of me. And he was like, "Oh, they have other reasons to think bad about me." Um, yeah. And so after that, and then it was a couple couple years after that, and I uh, part of my job as deputy chief is that I oversaw natural disasters and terrible things that happen in this country. And so during Hurricane Sandy, I actually slept at the office one night, I think, but mostly I was just like up at four to bed at midnight. And one day I I lost track of what day it was. And I had on J. Crew corduroy pants and a puffy vest in the office. And like, no one said anything. And I was like, let's see how far I can ride this train. (laughs) You know, and I eventually did go back to more normal Close, but no, he's like, if you, and this, this is something that I have taken with me for the rest of my life. I will never wear clothes that make me feel uncomfortable in any way. And I am more creative and collaborative. I mean, look, when you're hangry because you're trying to not get that rollover between your underwear and the top of your skirt, you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, oh, I'm so hungry, but I'm so bloated. What am I going to do? When that vaporizes and is no longer a part of your thought process, you're like, I am literally free. And so I just, I like to live free and, and that's, did you ever, did you ever even like, I find I'll even anticipate discomfort from my clothes. Like, Oh, I have a meeting tomorrow that I know I have to dress up for, and I'm going to be uncomfortable and nervous and you couldn't smoke weed. Right. (laughs) No, I did. I did. And there were outfits that were sort of the go-tos, you know, I had a shift Mm -hmm. dress that was, uh, that didn't require control top anything. And so the shift dress was usually my go-to for uh, dodgy days. Yeah. Did, has, did the president ever give you any bad advice? This can obviously be, be very low stakes. Oh, did he ever give me bad advice? Not really. We just had like a source of disagreement about 
food. That was our, <laughs> we used to, oh, you guys, he loves like super healthy food, like super healthy. Uh, and once it's just like a salmon, like every husband. meal, right? It was a lot of salmon. There was a lot of salmon and it was like salmon oh and quinoa. God. And he was like, why aren't, maybe I gave him advice. <laughs> I, he's like, why aren't you eating it? And I was like, because it's not going to taste good. And I'm not wasting calories on something that's not going to taste good. And he was like, Alyssa, food is fuel. And I was like, I live to eat, not eat Ooh, to live. Like yeah. that's, that's, and so that was sort of mine. Now I am a, I am a fairly healthy eater, but like not, not. Right. Of course he thinks that because he wasn't like a woman in the nineties when like everything was like snack wells, low fat. Um, like, snack wells thin. were yeah. devil. I mean, like, it's like, that was so bad for you. It was so yeah. much. They like, were really bad sugar. for you. They was but I think they taste great. They do. Some of them do. I like the vanilla cookies, the vanilla cream cookies. Those were good. But yes. like the chocolate yeah. devil food cookies tasted literally like fake sugar and nothing else. No, completely. But you would eat like a sleeve of them because pretty much because you're like, oh, these are good for me. And they like were not. No, completely. <laughs> I just have to ask, like, generally, what is it like to be like on such close terms with Barack Obama? <laughs> okay. So here's the thing to remember. You have a very different vibe when you've known each other for like a long time, right? So I started, I, he interviewed me for my first job in the Senate early, mid-December of 2004, right? So by the time we get to 2014, it's like there were these really funny moments. Actually, so here's Prior to Barack Obama, I had worked for John Kerry for several years, including on his presidential campaign. And so when I started working for Obama, I always called him Senator Obama. And one day he called me into his office. We were still in the transition offices in the Senate. So it was probably like January, February, 05. And he's like, can I ask you a question? I was like, yeah. He's like, have I upset you? And I'm like, no, why would you think I you want? No, he's like, will you call me Senator Obama? It's so formal. It's like, you're mad at me. And I was like, here's the deal. I've actually been in the Senate longer than you. And I know that if some young person like me, I wasn't even 30 at this point, is calling you Barack in front of like Ted Kennedy and Bob Byrd and these like lions of the Senate, you know? Like they're not going to, I have to show respect and like for them to understand that we respect you. So they respect you. And he's yeah. like, I, he goes, I guess that's a fair point, but let's <laughs> make a deal. You call me Barack in private and in public, you call me Senator Obama. And so I was like, fine. And you know, those times we traveled together a lot because I ultimately became the political director of his political action committee. And you got, it was just hilarious. Like all the time we'd be like in the back of a car with a volunteer driver. And there was this guy who I would travel a lot with Jordan and we loved to sing. And one day the Senator Ben Barack was like, must you? And we were like, <laughs> okay, never mind." And we stopped singing. And then after like five minutes of awkward silence, he's like, all right, fine. Sing again. Jesus Christ. Oh you know? And so we had, um, we had like a lot of real deal, good times. Like he was involved in my relationships and like we would kind of, well, that's, that's I so thought cool. that he did give you some bad advice about a relationship. I believe in, so here's the thing. He encouraged you to, to maybe stick out a relationship that yeah, he did. Had not he been did. working. He yeah. did. And you know what, though, is that I did I did stick it out, and I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. No, I'm so not. So you can't blame him. No, I can't. Well, no, but it actually ended up not being good advice, per se. 
But because I stuck it out by the time we broke up, I was convinced that there was no- nothing that was going to make it better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But no, yeah, he, yeah. when he finally, when he became president, uh, he was president elect and we were in the transition offices in Chicago. I'm like the queen of protocol. I know that you're looking at me with my bandana and my gray sweatshirt on and you're like, okay, Alyssa. <laughs> but the first day that we were in the transition office, I went around and I briefed everybody. I was like, when he comes by, you call him president elect and you stand up. And so he comes yeah. in and everyone stands up and they're like, Mr. President elect. And he's like, oh, did you do this? And I was like, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> and so, you know, there were, um, we made it through, uh, we made it through some stuff. So it was, uh, he yeah. is a lovely fun, funny person. And the one thing that I will always say is that there's nobody more curious about anything than Barack Obama. It's like, he wants That's to know right. what you're reading, what you're eating. He sees somebody, he's like, what's going on with you? Uh, he's a, it's, it's a, it's something I didn't realize was such an important trait until our last president. When I was like, Oh my God, he's literally curious about <laughs> no nothing. curiosity. Like, nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's like he never had a question and he doesn't care how the government works. And so like, you know, it became, it became a, um, it became something that I always like to tell people about because I think that people should know. People think that the presidents are so smart. They don't have to be curious, but he was curious about everything. Can I ask, like, is he a good texter? We never texted. We emailed and he was always, he's always, he's always been sort of funny on email. Okay. Okay. That's good. I wonder if he texts at all. I was, um, you mentioned those like volunteer drivers. I was a volunteer driver for the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2008. I'm sorry. It sounds like that was more fun to listen to you guys sing. But I remember just thinking it was so, I was like, how am I driving her around? I'm 19. I'm in, it was like in South Dakota, it, but it was actually one of the best experiences of my life. It was so cool. No to be able to campaigns can do it without the volunteers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they, they called me, they called me an intern, but like, in, I was a volunteer. They were like, sure, you can say, you can say it was an internship. That sounds like so much fun. Like it, it was, fun. I love to drive. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so you, as we have discussed, you've worked for an actual president and whose lines are like, I guess the president sometimes, I don't know if this is accurate to say, but maybe they sort of inhabit like the mainstream moderate perspective of the, of the party or a mainstream one. But on Hysteria, you regularly advocate for things like ending the filibuster, judicial reform, the stuff that we really need to do. I'm curious if your personal political views have changed since your years in D.C. or if you're just more at liberty to discuss them now or if you just feel more of a has anything have your political views evolved or have they always been this way and you're just more at liberty? to say? So here's the thing. I've I dance. I dance a dance between pragmatic I feel like I'm pragmatic and progressive, I guess is the way to put it. Like I understand. And this is something that, you know, we have to remember that now looking back, we feel like Barack Obama was a bit more moderate than people know, now yeah. at the time. I mean, he was like, like fucking healthcare, you guys, that's like, and here's the thing he said. And I remember I'd rather be a one-term president and get this done than play it safe just so I can have a second cool. term. And so for me, I mean, you guys, I got into politics because of Bernie Sanders. Um, 1994, Burlington, Vermont, baby. I was like, who is this man? And I had the- You drove him around, I did. I drove Bernie around. (laughs) And I had the good fortune of understanding. So here's something I think that we all overlook in discussions. There is public service and there is politics, Right. And so what I loved about Bernie is that to this day, to this day, the one thing you want to be able to do 
is trust your public servant. I don't think Bernie's ever fucking lied. People may hate what he <laughs> says and he may, um, he will not shy away from it though if it's what he believes. And they have largely been yeah. his views for 40 fucking years. And so I have always believed that, uh, I have always believed that we should have, I mean, you guys, this is what's so fucked up about the discussion right now is that Republicans are like all this socialism and it's like fucking socialism. The United States is second from the bottom of the world in how we treat our families and in paid leave and how we treat our mothers and our children. And so like, we should be talking like we're catching up with the rest of the globe. Not like, not like accepting this premise that this is fucking socialism. But I think that, you know, there are just fundamental Mm -hmm. things like the prison system just needs to be fucking reformed. I think that when we know more, we should do better. Right. And I think that all the things that we've learned over the past 10 years are like super eye opening. And so I think I've always been pretty progressive. I, when I was in the White House, took being a public servant very, very seriously and felt that I was there to represent all the people in America. And just like, you know, Barack Obama said the first day in office, you don't work for me, you work for the American people, all the American people. And so, you know, I think that I just never saw it as my place or appropriate to be super political those years when I was in the White House. But when we left, I mean, I ultimately left, like, I mean, Donald Trump, when Brett Kavanaugh happened, that's when I was like, I need to be like a freelancer. I need to not be tethered to a company because the things I want to say, I shouldn't put a company in the position to have to defend me or anything like that. (laughs) You know, I mean, once I tweeted something, it was my first viral tweet um, (laughs) when Donald Trump told people that no presidents had called the families of those killed in action which is like such a personal thing. It's one of the hardest things a president will ever do. They've all done it. And I literally called him deranged. I I said something crazy and it was on like- Or accurate. I mean, it was totally accurate, but like my face and my tweet was up on all the cable shows and like the morning news, like network news, like CBS. And I was like, oh my God. Crazy. And after that, I was like, I can't put- companies in a position. And that's when I decided to strike out on my own and do a lot of work with NARAL because then came Brett Kavanaugh. So I think that right, also cool. there, we spent a lot of years thinking that, yeah, we have to do things with climate change. Like it's really bad and we have to protect Roe, but we didn't really ever think Roe was in this kind of jeopardy. And now get the chickens have come home to roost. And so it is, it is important to be more vocal than we probably ever were, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, I tend to like let the moderates and Republicans like set the set the parameters. So like you said, these progressive issues, they're just what other countries are doing. But when like the mansions and cinemas are like, but we could never possibly what a radical idea to end the filibuster or reform the judicial system. It's like these are kind of some of the only things. The thing about this, too, is that like I understand. Look, people represent their states. They represent their constituencies. I have a hard time thinking that a good portion of people in West Virginia and Arizona wouldn't benefit from the things being discussed uh, as potential uh, policy items in this reconciliation bill. So that's when it starts not feeling on the level, you know, and you get a little bit like, also, you know that if Republicans controlled the House, the Senate, 
and the presidency. They would be shooting their shot, you guys. This would be, they're like, we're fucking going for it, okay? They weren't like, oh. We would be wearing Handmaid's Tale dresses without if they had, yeah. question. And so it is very frustrating to see, you know, two people potentially standing in the way of all of this really positive change. I mean, who hates free community college, you guys? Like, why? Right, right. We can yeah. only afford more weapons. We don't have room for exactly. community college. No, we need more buttons on for the Defense Department. <laughs> I do think what I think your point about thinking of yourself as a public servant versus a politician is kind of like the the break in like philosophy of I would say like the Gen Z newer kind of like representatives who are getting, you know, like the more younger people who are getting elected. Whereas like you have the Republicans and some moderate Democrats who like they've been there so long and you can tell that like they're playing politics. There's like someone's hand is in their pocket with money. And like, that just feels like, so it feels so like old and outdated and just like retro. And we need, like, we're never going to solve a problem like that. Like maybe that could work in like the nineties before the planet was about to die, like in five minutes. But like now we need people who are public servants, like looking out for, the most amount of people possible and just like taking action. Like I can't even like express how frustrating it is to watch people do absolutely nothing. And like, Oh, we just can't get mansion and cinema. Like, can't they figure it out? Like from your experience, like why can't they just figure it out? Like why can't (laughs) the the Biden white house just get them to like do it? Like what's the issue? So I am not sure. There are a lot of things that I have been, uh, confused by potentially. So for example, I feel like mansion and cinema didn't have to come out two weeks ago and say they weren't for 3.5 trillion. Like when you start laying that, cause here's what happens. They come out and say that they don't say here are the policies I'm for here are the ones I can't support. They just make it about a number. Right. And so by doing that, then the American people are like, well, wait, what's the what's wrong with 3.5 trillion? And it sets up this conversation that's like just not super on the level. And, you know, I feel like, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, my full disclosure, my husband was Harry Reid's chief of staff for many, many years when I was in the White House. And Harry Reid's big thing was like, just keep your powder dry. Just fucking don't say anything out loud. Just let's let's give ourselves the space to figure it out, because once you've gone out. So like now that's here's the thing to think about now that cinema and and mansion have gone out and say, I can't possibly support three point five trillion. Well, how are they going to get to a place where they can support it? Right. It's like it's like now the room for negotiation is public. And I think that it's when it's private is that it's when it's able to figure out. But also, I think that if they Uh listen to people, I had the honor truly of interviewing Congresswoman Cori Bush from Missouri. And I think the big lesson, I think she's one of our best public servants. And the thing is, she has, guess what? I absolutely will listen to everything she says about evictions. She's been evicted. She's been evicted. And she knows what she is talking about. Guess what? She worked at a daycare and got promoted, but still couldn't afford to send her kids to the daycare. So literally on every pandemic issue, she's been a frontline worker at some point. And so do I care what someone who has barely been back to their district 
in years thinks, or do I care about someone who is literally explaining life experiences? And I think that's part of the problem is this detachment from people who've been in DC. Being a senator should not be a retirement plan. You know, right. like <laughs> you shouldn't be getting a wine internship from like some hedge fund because you're like during your senatorship, like you should be working all the time. I was confused I don't understand. by that. I'm going to admit I was confused We're by that confused. story. It feels like they never work. Like it, it, it's weird. Like it feels like Congress is never working. And it's just sort of like the 24 year old staffers who are keeping things like barely it going. Is. Well, you know, there are. That's it's an interesting true. thing for people who are listening, whoever your congressperson is, go to their congresspersonsname.house.gov website and check out their schedule. Yeah, check out. So for me, it's delgado.house.gov. Antonio Delgado works his fucking ass off. He is all over the district. I have seen him so many times. My last, one of my last public events before COVID was going to a town hall in Churchtown uh, for Delgado, where I was like, who are all these anti-vaxxers? And then I was like, oh my God. When COVID happened, I was like, oh shit, this is going to be a problem. Um, But see what they do, you know, hold them accountable. There may be people like, here's the thing. I don't believe in throwing the baby out with the bathwater. If there are people who have been in Congress for 25 years, but have been hustling for 25 years and have been current for 25 years and are like keeping up with the times and working their ass off. Great. More power to them. But if you're someone who's like, I've only got like five more elections until full retirement benefits. Like, no, 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 no. Right. Yeah. That's what I appreciate kind of about Chuck Schumer is that like, there was like a whisper of like, what if AOC ran? And now he's like, you want weed? What else, (laughs) what else can I do for you? (laughs) It's an interesting thing about the progressive cause. Like, you know, I was a vocal Cynthia Nixon supporter when she ran for governor against Andrew Cuomo. It is very interesting to think about what might've happened if she had won. And whether or not, whether or not she was going to win, she was forcing a conversation to the left. And that's important. And we wouldn't have gotten a lot of things in the past couple of years, I think, if she had not run against him and forced a conversation and for people to then hold him accountable and be like, whoa, 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 you said you were for weed being legal. Where are we at? And so I think that also it's just like never anything but upside to have good contested elections. Yeah, absolutely. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. 
but you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. I want to ask you a couple more questions about, I guess, your time in the White House and how you can help us frame this White House as you've been doing. Sure. I was curious if there was like ever a moment so far in the Biden administration. This is two questions. When you thought, wow, that would have been a really fun day to like have my old job and to have been there. And then on the other hand, what's a moment when you thought this is exactly what I hated about it? They must be miserable. I would not want to be there today. I have to be honest, you guys. I have not coveted their days (laughs) since they took office. I mean, they won. Not one. I mean, it has been a nightmare. They have they walked into so (laughs) many problems, you know, big ones, big ones, not like I can silo this one and hive it off and go deal with this. I mean, so many problems. I think the worst day, what was the worst day? I mean, the past couple of weeks have not been great. Like they've not been good. Like the day when it's like COVID is spiking the, we're getting the vaccine booster. No, we're not getting the vaccine booster. The withdrawal from Afghanistan Regardless, I think let's just I'm going to speak. We needed to leave Afghanistan. It's yeah. hard to imagine, but I'm not there. So I want to be very clear. I was not I'm clearly not there and I'm not talking to people about it. It feels hard to say there wasn't maybe a slightly better way to withdraw from Afghanistan. You know, I mean, those mm-hmm. pictures those pictures are hard to watch. And I think that when people in the administration are talking about it, you really have to lean into the fact, you know, how fucking bad it is and not really lean on the, like, it was always going to be this bad because I think it's hard for people to believe that even if it's true, I just think that that's like, you know, but I, I saw, you know, I've known Jen Saki. I have known since we were little tiny babies on the Carrie campaign. Oh, Oh, I've known Saki for forever. And I just watch her go up to that podium. And I was like, girl, prayers like this is like yeah. it's just yeah. because also it's like the media look we need a free and fair media um but like you had trump for four years so let's stop trying to pretend like the biden people are like as dishonest in right. any way that he was um because that's just fucking ridiculous um but you know it's it's uh it's not great it's hard it's hard and this is like i don't see when it's gonna finally get easier for them you know no. Right, right. Yeah. Was there anything like when you were working in the White House that outsiders, whether it was like friends or critics, would always give you advice and they were like, you should totally do this or why don't you do this? That like now we did now that you refused to take. Yeah. No. So it wasn't even so much refused to take. It's that, you know, the one thing I will always be cognizant of is that times change. And things are different. Mm -hmm. And so we had a lot of people who would be from former administrations, uh, specifically some former like Clinton people who'd be like, you guys really need to get out of the White House and you need to do like these big events, like sign a bill at the Grand Canyon and all this stuff. And I'd be like, "Okay, guys, first of all, uh, our events are very pretty. One, 
too. That's all fucking pre 9-11. Shit changed after that, okay? Because guess what? If a president goes to the Grand Canyon, no one can fly over it for a very long time. And, you know, you know, an interesting thing looking back, which I always kind of like to talk about, is that we all remember how bad Hurricane Katrina was and the pictures of Bush in the flyover and he was criticized so roundly for that. And then we got into the White House and we came to understand, not excuse, but understand how that happened. That everybody that so it was August, so many people in the White House were on vacation, Um, that the the circumstances on the ground were so bad, you never would have wanted a president to land and take resources away. And we would have criticized him had he not done the flyover, like if he had just stayed in Washington. And so it's like, I do try to always remember and the Bush people were very kind and very generous with their time when we transitioned in and they said, look, we're not defending what happened. But we're saying that the systems had gone untested for so long that it would have happened to somebody. And it was. And so after that, we had, you know, one of the deputy chiefs always had to be on campus, always had to be at the White House, you know, because we were the organizing. If something happened and everybody was gone, it was like Alyssa gets a conference call together is like, boom, boom, boom. Here's what we're going to do. You do this. You do that. You do this. We're going to reconvene in four hours. Don't send, you know, superfluous emails. And which is literally how you deal with any crisis, essentially. Yeah. Just stop stray voltage emails and just get people to do their shit and come and report back. But that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I feel for them. I feel like they have a long year into the midterms ahead of them. Just something you alluded to about how like the press is not necessarily treating, you know, the Trump administration and the Biden administration with the same, you know, level of of harshness. What do you make of like the general asymmetry between the two parties in terms of power and like what we're able to get done? And like, how do you think Democrats can overcome that? So I think that United, I mean, United, I think that Republicans <laughs> unite and will show <laughs> the party line, right? It's like, they don't have, like I just said the word stray voltage. They don't have a ton of people who are like, oh no, oh no. I mean, like Trump ruled belligerently with an iron fist and they were able to get things done because they literally just towed the party line. And Democrats are much more of a big tent party and we welcome all kinds of ideas. I mean, it's almost like sometimes I laugh. I'm like, we're almost like the British Parliament, you know, like the Democratic Party unto itself. It's like people are mad at each other and they're like, you know, there's also something I think that is a bit performative. Um, Republicans definitely have it, too. But I think that like on social media, sometimes it's like. Sometimes everyone should just step away from social media. Stop doubling down. Stop saying crazy shit. Stop alienating people in your party. It's like, just be quiet. Everyone, no one's going to, no one's going to vaporize if they're just quiet for a little bit and, and figure things out. (laughs) And there's definitely time for outrage, but I think sometimes everyone would benefit from like stepping away from the Twitter for a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like even in like, we're sort of hybrid. We're in between, you know, press and media. Yes. And it's like sometimes I, I I have found enough times where when I have felt pressured to make a sudden statement, I almost always regret it. And if I just, yeah, just be quiet, totally. nobody will be like, remember that time a year and a half ago where they didn't say anything about this? It's like, no, but they'll 100%. remember if you said the wrong, the wrong 100%. thing. Yeah. yeah, we've taken up so much of your time. So you've been so generous with your time. So thank you so, so much. What else? Um, 
are you up to with Crooked Media where people can find you? Oh, let's see. So uh, I can be found uh, on the podcast Hysteria, wherever you get your yes. podcasts. On Twitter, I'm at AlyssaMastro44. And on Instagram, I'm at Mastro175. And so come, come. You guys, it's awesome. Here's the thing. Going into midterms, we should do this all the time, don't you think? Okay, I would love that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'll do this like, anytime. You're so fun to talk to. Yeah, and, and I hope well, next time you're in the city for a long period of time, our new Betches office just opened. Oh, no, yeah, we'd love to have Oh, it. my God. We'll talk offline about where it is because yeah. I can't wait. But yeah, yeah, you guys, this is, you know, like, I don't know, make me your political commentator. Perfect. Who cares? Let's do it. You hear that, John? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You guys, let's figure some we shit out. We okay? got to figure it out. It's up to us. Thank you so much. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.